Merry Christmas! <laughs> You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we'll be talking about Doctor Who, so you don't have to. I'm Lee. I'm Simon. I'm Matt. And I'm JR. We've got an email. Ooh. <clears throat> In fact, we've got several emails going back as far as September. Ooh. 2016. <laughs> 2016. You wouldn't say 1916, oh, would you? <clears throat> Good day, blue boxes. <clears throat> oh, I've been away too long. Do you still do this? <laughs> I have been asked to do this. I must tell you how much I am looking forward to the annual... <laughs> I must tell you how much I am looking forward to the upcoming annual Boxing Day special. Now, oh, Lee's oh, yeah. looking confused. Yeah, of course, of course, yeah. Get it? Yeah. Because? Because the day difference. And yeah. the reason we know there's a day difference is because? The world's very big and there's lots of time zones involved. <laughs> No, it's because we know the email has come from that part of the world because of the accent I used when I started it. Hungarian. <laughs> <clears throat> Boxing Day really is such a wonderful day. It is so relaxing after a usually very hectic Christmas Day when there is lots of eating and drinking and all the in-laws fight with each other. <laughs> but on Boxing Day, you get to have a sleep in without the kids waking you up at the crack of dawn to show you all the presents that Santa left them. Then, around mid-morning, you turn the telly on to catch the first session of the Boxing Day Test Match broadcast live from Bleak City. The Melbourne Test Match always has... I'm probably going to get in trouble for reading this from people who are not in... or from people who are in... well, whatever. The Melbourne Test Match always has an amazing atmosphere as a crowd of 90,000 people with a chip on their shoulder who think that Shane Warne is the best thing since sliced bread rather than an alleged inarticulate drug-cheating max-fixing bogan get stuck into whichever country's cricket team happens to be visiting Bleak City on Boxing Day. This summer, it so happens that the Ashes contest is being held, which means that we get to see a bunch of hopeless, whinging poms take ineptitude on the cricket field to new heights. Or should that be depths? Who can forget the fielding excellence of Phil Tufnell or Monty Panesar in previous Ashes series? Cue the Benny Hill music. Then, at lunchtime in the cricket, you can flick channels to watch the start of the Sydney to Hobart yacht race. What more could you possibly want than to watch some lovely big sailing boats with their sails flapping in the breeze sail out of the harbour on the most beautiful city in the world, whilst eating leftovers from yesterday's roast lunch? Nothing, really, except perhaps Perry dressed in a bikini and serving my lunch. Mm -hmm. By this point, the temperature has probably cracked 30 degrees Celsius, so it is time for a couple of beers to cool down before a quick swim in the pool, ideally with Perry, and then some backyard cricket where some poor bugger has to put on a Union Jack shirt and go and retrieve balls from the fence, just like in the real cricket on the telly. Is backyard cricket a euphemism? (laughs) (laughs) Is that because Mark's not here? Somebody had to say it. Benny Hill music again. This chair's all squeaky. I'm going to have to try and sit better. 
After all this sleeping in, watching cricket, watching sailing, eating roast, drinking beer, playing backyard cricket and swimming with Perry, I think I would most likely be exhausted. But the best is still yet to come. At 7.30 in the evening, as the sun is starting to think about setting, the annual Doctor Who Boxing Day special is broadcast on our beloved ABC. This episode is generally a fairly light and frothy episode. However, for some reason, there seems to be a ludicrous obsession with snow. I mean, come on, Stephen Moffat. What the (laughs) F does snow have to do with Boxing Day? Have you ever seen the Boxing Day test match in Bleak City or the Sydney to Hobart yacht race abandoned due to snow? Have you? Of course you haven't. So I am looking forward to a snow-free Boxing Day special this year. Does anyone know where it will be set, I wonder? All the best for Christmas and for 2018. And that is from... Adrian Sturrock. We will be having further emails shortly, but that's a good place to start talking about Twice Upon a Time, isn't it? Thank you, Adrian. Before I do, though, I just want to say, uh, I just want to make a quick shout out to Mrs. Gray for reasons that will mean something to somebody listening, but not to anybody else. But everybody, let's raise a glass to Mrs. Gray. Mrs. Gray. Mrs. Gray. Twice upon a time, then. <sighs> yes. Well, there was lots of snow. Well, there was at first, yes. but there wasn't in the rest of it. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, let's go around and we'll each say one sentence. We'll go around from my right to my left. Lee, one sentence on Twice Upon a Time to sum up your feelings. <clears throat> a rather lovely, slow retrospective episode. Andy. The perfect fitting finale. Simon. An apt uh, epitaph or whatever you call it for the Moffat stroke Capaldi era. Matt. A rather slow retrospective episode. (laughs) JR. Well, I kind of appreciated it, but I didn't enjoy it very much. Right, should we, we get should we go keep on going around? <laughs> <laughs> just like do one uh, see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> shall we, before we start picking the story apart, shall we go through the uh, bones of contention? Yeah, go on then. And I'll tell you what, let's start with the big thing first. Let's get the elephant in the room out of the room so we can talk about the rest of it. Jodie Whittaker. Oh, sorry, I thought you were going to... No, no, no. <laughs> okay, Jodie Whittaker, <laughs> Lee. That's rather rude, calling her an elephant. <laughs> Um, what, what, what do you want, want me to say? Her first line, "Ah, oh, brilliant," was fine. Apart from I couldn't hear what she said. Her first line was, "Oh, brilliant." Oh, was it? There you go. Then, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't hear it properly. I think the sound engineer needed to get a bit closer to it. You probably have to be from Yorkshire. Yeah, oh, yeah. that would probably oh, help. From Yorkshire, yeah. We'll get used to it. Oh no, we're gonna have to have it. What's really funny about translated. that is that I've um, I got given the box set of the complete fast show for Christmas. And I just started watching it again. Brilliant. So, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> she did it. It was like, oh my God. <laughs> I thought she was, um, she suddenly snapped into a rather kind of tenanty um, posture and, and face and everything. And I just thought, this is the doctor straight away. I didn't, didn't feel like, oh no, we've got a woman on board. Oh no, it's another actor. Oh no, it's, it's the, whatever. It, it feels felt right. It actually felt right, especially her falling out of the TARDIS was a brilliant ending. I love that ending. Mm. So, so far, so mm. good in those two minutes. 
Right, anybody else? Because if I go round in the circle all the time, people mm. are going to find them. Everything. Yeah, but people are going to find themselves with nothing to say. So now just jump in if you've got something to say. <laughs> I love Which the... generally means Matt, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love the ending as well. And I thought that one line did much like what the promo photo did and sort of suggested enthusiasm and sort of a refreshing change. I think the people I watched it with weren't, Doctor Who fans and they picked up on one issue and then the tabloids picked up on another issue where it looks as though she can't fly the TARDIS and they made a big film yeah. but, but there's the no TARDIS is trying to get rid of her the yes. TARDIS is kicking her out that's one thing the Doctor always has problems piloting the TARDIS exactly. and it wouldn't have been a cliffhanger if she'd elegantly piloted the TARDIS landed somewhere safely and just stepped out it had to have been dramatic so there was no way of getting around it, but we also don't know what's going to happen in the next exactly. episode to set up. But I plus, think, but I think, plus, but I think, just it's... before you go on to the other point, plus at the end of the Matt Smith into Peter Capaldi regeneration, right. his last line is, "Do you know how to fly yeah, this yeah, thing?" Exactly. Yeah. Which is, which is what I said. <clears throat> yeah, but so, but there were but no I jokes think, about male but think, drivers. But I think this reaction is an indication of what could be to come and the challenges that she's going to face and the writers are going to face that. In the tabloid if they, press. If they make um, her yeah. emotional or if they make her in any way, then people are, may say this, this. And they can't. I mean, no. in a way, that's a good thing because you're, you're just, sort of challenging it. They so just the have to write it as they, would, yeah. as they want yeah. to write it. Yeah. Ignore everybody. Just yeah. do what they want to do and it'll be fine. But the, the, but the but. people I watched it with had the same, made the same assumption. Really? Yeah. Because it looked like she pressed a button and then the TARDIS went caca. And they don't necessarily remember previous regeneration. The screen said multiple malfunction. Yes. You're not telling me the one button. That may have something to do with the fact that the TARDIS was blowing up as um, a lot of previous Doctor was regenerating. Which which for me I appreciated. But when you're watching it with half eye on the drinks that you're drinking (laughs) and was half pissed. I don't think they picked up. And I'm, I, th- I think they did the right thing. And I think I can see why they did yeah. it. But I'm just yeah. picking it up as a one reaction Would that I, might carry on. One of the best entries. The fact that she's falling through the air to her death. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's what? Really I'm going to watch this. Well, presumably not to her death, because that would make her... <laughs> that would be a quick generation. <laughs> yeah. well, I don't know whether it's going to be... Is it? So what we don't know is, is this going to be the entire season? Or is this going to be one of those cliffhangers that's resolved when the TARDIS just lands on top of her? <laughs> and she just suddenly back to the TARDIS. I hope not. So I hope it doesn't just turn up and catch her. That'll be really cheap. Uh, well, in that wibbly wobbly timey wimey way, we've already seen the bit where she goes back to the TARDIS, haven't we? And that's what I saw somebody, <laughs> somebody suggesting a reshoot, a reshoot of that. Oh, that no. It's the final scene of the season. No, she's going to land on a giant trampoline and it'll take her back <laughs> upwards. Yeah, it would be fine. Oh. Or she's going to split into three on the way down and etc. etc. Ouch. Um... I thought the line, oh, brilliant, completely distracted the attention away from the gender thing. Like Lee or, said. Or that that was as much as needed to address it. She, yeah. It was the doctor's reaction. Ah, brilliant. No, 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 but no, I mean the it. way she, she delivered the line. I'm yeah. not even talking about what the line was. Yes. Mm. She looks in the mirror, for want of a better word, says, oh, brilliant, mm. having seen she's a woman, mm. and that's all that needs to be said on the subject. Yeah. But I thought the way that she delivered the line completely took you out of the gender issue and completely took you into the character. (coughs) Because it it really, the way that she delivers the line kind of sets up possibly how she, you know, her take or the writer's take 
on how she is going to be the doctor, someone who's infused infused with life and is going to really kind of grab life with with both hands and really enjoy all the adventures that she's going to be on. I mean, that might be that might be a heavy reading based on one line, but I I get the sense that this is a doctor who really is is, is going to enjoy the adventures that she it's, goes on. It's what I was saying when when I I always thought that the point she was cast was when they tackled the gender issue and they could get that out of the way. That was the big moment. Yeah. The actual performance, as JR said, doesn't have to tackle the gender issue. It shouldn't. And actually yeah. they streamlined the normal, oh, I've got big ears and that sort of dialogue yeah, or new kidneys. Yeah. They cut that out, probably presumably on purpose, yeah. because they just wanted they did to it. transition. They did it all in a look. If you, if you look at the moment she looks at her reflection hmm. and then she smiles, it's <clears> all <throat> there. She didn't even need to say brilliant. Mm. It was yeah. all there. That reaction was, oh, yeah, brilliant. This is excellent. I'm yeah. something completely different. Mm. Let's just go with yeah, it. Yeah, potentially. Well, that's what it looked like in her face. Just, mm. Yeah. And then she Do you know what I get the feeling... <laughs> It's a new regeneration cycle, and Peter Capaldi has essentially played the first mm-hmm. Doctor again, where he starts off a bit grumpy and uh-huh. softens. And given the costume and the way she says, "Oh, brilliant!" <laughs> she's she's playing Patrick Troughton. Yeah, could be. <laughs> I don't. Know. Yeah. Obviously, I'm not saying he played, you know, exactly the first Doctor, and she's going to play exactly Patrick Troughton. But generally, no, but I Patrick get the sense Trouton, of like you've said before similar, many yeah. times before, that he had one of the hardest jobs to try and follow William Hartnell. Jodie Whittaker's the first female Doctor. She's got a really hard <clears> job <throat> to try and convince the entire world that she's going to be as good as she's going to be. She's got the we hardest are. job on Doctor Who. Yeah. Since Patrick yeah. Trouton. Since yeah. Patrick Trouton, yeah. yeah. So there's lots so there of is parallels. A, there was a nice so. mirror. There. And those clothes in the... Um, you know, the photo they sent out ages ago, there was a sort of 80s stroke 60s vibe to them. Other hot potatoes, or has anybody got more on Jodie Whittaker? We didn't see a lot. I mean, obviously, that cliffhanger. No. And, you know, when you think about the amount of screen time she had compared to, I don't know, Matt Smith, I suppose it was more dialogue, wasn't it? It was kind of jam packed. Oh, it might have more lines, but in, in screen time, it probably wasn't that much no. difference. Yeah, they both had probably about the same amount of time on screen. It's just mm-hmm. that he, usually the Doctor fills it with dialogue. This time it was filled with lots of shots of her from behind, teasing you for the moment of reveal. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, yeah. Okay, the big, big hot potato is, did Stephen Moffat write the first Doctor as a racist? As a sexist, rather. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A, a little bit. I don't know, but more, well, more, more than he was in the actual. Is, is there first, a yeah, series? Is there a difference between saying somebody's racist or whether they're a sexist? Cre- it sexist. should be sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sexist. Um, a creature of their time. Well, that's not excusing it. There's some justification. There's it. some justification, but as we said, because we anticipated this in a previous episode, the trouble was. That there'd been so much talk about it beforehand because people had seen the script or had seen previews of the episode that there were lists going round detailing all the lines of dialogue that were sexist in nature and stuff. And actually, the list had seven lines of dialogue, two at least of which were completely gender neutral and were just old fuddy-duddy. Yeah. rather than sexist. <coughs> I think John Pertwee yeah. said more, actually, than maybe uh, William Hartnell. Um, I don't remember him. There is, as pointed out by Tom Spilsbury, 
a scene at the start of um, Second Doctor's tenure in his very first story where Polly goes off to clean a room in the base. <laughs> that so the line of dialogue about, oh, it's a bit dusty in here, where's Polly when you need her, whatever. It's just a bit of a... That's not sexist. The, so now we're down to four lines of dialogue, of which at least two others were also about keeping the but place not, clean. It's, but it, but it's, it's, but <laughs> yes, but the point I'm coming to is it's kind of an underlying low level gender discriminatory. But it's not just the lines that, that the first doctor is saying; it's the reaction of the Capaldi doctor. Yes, exactly. and the Capaldi doctor is clearly saying that's sexist. You can't say this that. whole so episode. But it and it's run yes. a gag, so it's not. Yeah, exactly. Know, not this whole episode is basically standing on top of that hill before you're about to go down the next slope for the next era, and looking back, it's a retrospective. As I can't remember, somebody said it's a retrospective. Um, looking about where they've come from, <coughs> where we have come from as a society, and where we are now. Mm. So it's all part and parcel of the whole. Yeah, the whole but the issue and where, that and people where have. fandom was, and where it should be now as well. There's a lot. There was a lot well. of. There's a lot of <laughs> There seems to be a lot of concern in the reaction about the legacy of Hartnell rather than whether he was, So this is yeah. a story about Capaldi. So I saw... Well, this is what I said. I, saw, review, a re- I saw reactions that said, why didn't Susan turn up when Bill turned up? Everybody thought it was going to be Susan when she was in the mist. And then it turned out to be Bill. But obviously it had to be... It couldn't be Susan because this wasn't about the first Doctor. This was about... This was told through the no. Capaldi Doctor's eyes. It had to be Bill. And to bring Susan back would have just made the whole story about. It wouldn't have the made any doctor. sense either because it is about new starts. Well, it would have also killed Susan off effectively. Yeah. Because true. this is a, a glass kind of thing. big memory thing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yes, the point is this is a story about the 12th Doctor, and the first Doctor has been brought in to illustrate something about the first Doctor, about the 12th Doctor, and not the other way around. Mm. But if you're a classic series fan, your automatic instant first reaction is, oh, the first Doctor's in it, what's going on here? Mm. And your concentration is entirely on the first Doctor. So you are taking too much notice of what the first Doctor's doing and not enough notice of how that is paying off on what's happening with the 12th Doctor, such that you start to hear... People saying, what was the point of having the first Doctor there at all? He didn't have any effect on the story. Saw, he had a massive that, critical effect on what the 12th Doctor I did. I don't know why the first Doctor was there. It could have been the same... St- Hang on a minute. Yeah. It, it, you know. he, was, um, he was like the perfect framing device. In a, in a way, for me, the story seemed to be very much about how far the Doctor has come mm. as, as a character. And to do that, you need to see where he's come from. So there are questions that Bill, are, Bill is asking about, you know, why you left, why you left Gallifrey. Um, well, that and, isn't, and, and wasn't even the point of no, it, no, was no, it? No, but, 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 but all of these things really kind of show the, the journey of this character called the Doctor. And then right at the end, we see the ultimate extension of that now mm, in regenerating into a woman. Mm. Well, the point yeah. of it was the first Doctor was the guy who left Gallifrey, but just to explore, not to fight evil. And it's only when you get to seasons four and five, where it's a base under siege every week, that becomes the Doctor turns up somewhere, aliens invade, and the Doctor's the one who solves the problem. Mm. That doesn't happen 
until after the regeneration into Patrick Troughton. Obviously, it happens every second, every third story mm. during William Hartnell's time, but it's not the running theme of the <clears throat> first Doctor. So by the time you get to the 12th Doctor, it's been the running theme of 11 Doctors. Mm. And so the point of Twice Upon a Time is Peter Capaldi has decided he's the first in a new cycle. He, Matt Smith inherits a new regeneration cycle, not Peter Capaldi. So suddenly Peter Capaldi's this doctor, and I've said it before, I think each new doctor is a new person, not yeah. just the old person with a new face, but an actual different person. So here you have a person who wasn't supposed to be alive, finding himself alive, and then suddenly faced with a situation where he's going to be dead and he's going to change into somebody new again. And he says, well, no, hang on. This wasn't supposed to happen even before me to get to me. Let's just stop it now. And it's only in taking the first Doctor, the Doctor who doesn't fight alien invasions as a matter of course, and showing him what he will become, where he becomes the force for good in the universe that you know, we end up seeing fighting evil every single week, that the 12th Doctor can realise, well, hang on, if I do stop regenerating, then that person stops being. And it's not like I'm making revelations here. This was all pointed out multiple times yeah, on yeah. screen. Mm. And yet, and a lot of the reaction I'm seeing I mean, seems to have completely missed it. I had... Plainly obvious. I had... I think the focus... My My attention was drawn to the first Doctor... Partly because I was looking to see but, how David Bradley mm -hmm. was doing. And I had problems but, with David Bradley in the role. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. But was that at the expense of following the story and making sense of it? No, I had a slight problem with the with the, the story as a general, as a sort of a structure. Well, but I, I understood too. I understood the sort of the driving themes through the story, but I think... Well, that's what I'm saying. A yeah. lot of people are just saying they've made the first Doctor a racist and yeah. just haven't followed the story. No. Sexist. 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 I keep saying racist. Why do I keep saying racist? That's because he actually was racist. <laughs> well, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Imagine having said that, during all this fuss that was going on beforehand, people were saying, well, have you ever seen any evidence of sexism from the first Doctor? So I just randomly went to the books and pulled out three examples of low-level sexism just from the first three pages of the first three books I came from and said, well... It's low level, but it's there. And isn't the point in a multi-doctor story that the returning doctors get exaggerated anyway? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Right, let's move on. So David Bradley then, hot potato. His version of the first doctor. He's not William Hartnell, was he? But Richard Herndon wasn't William Hartnell either, but we accepted but, it. They're, they're playing a role. He's they're playing a role. Just like, but also... Before I the podcast, we were talking about different people playing Hercule Poirot. And yeah. But also, it was explained in, in the story, wasn't it, that he was... His face is His face is slightly different yeah. change because he's holding it back. Uh, you know, it's a brilliant RTD Moffat type of thing. They always try and explain things. Yeah. Peter Davison was well but, explained. I love messing about <clears throat> You know, stuff like that, and it coming off. But that wasn't my well, problem. And I thought it was good. That wasn't my problem. My problem was because we've already seen him in an adventure in space and time playing Hartnell, playing the Doctor. Not canon. The Doctor, as he's playing in that, but it's still, it's still something that's in my mind when I'm watching. And the Doctor he plays in the docudrama is a very caricatured version because he's kind of imitating that tone. Mm. He's brilliant as Hartnell, but he's necessarily slightly shonky as 
the first Doctor. Yeah. And in this... But he plays it very differently here. Yeah, but I've still got that kind of memory. And at times, and at times he <coughs> slips, at, at times I think he slips into that performance. I think, it's, it, I think it's good, but, but it feels like a caricature. Yeah, but in that, in the Adventure Time space, he's, he's, he's playing the actor playing yes, the yeah. Doctor here. He's trying to embody yeah. the Doctor. I, I, don't, I, I take it he's not trying to do William Hartnell no, doing the Doctor. But, have, but having seen him do the previous thing, it's very difficult to drop that from your head it, to watch yeah, this. But, and, and I think in this story, he occasionally slips into this for me. There are occasions where he turns into a caricature. There are moments when I think he's brilliant, when he has the conversation with Bill, which is a really quiet conversation. And th there are moments where he he actually yeah. almost forgets trying to be the first Doctor mm. and just acts. But there are times when, when he's joking or when he's sort of the butt of jokes or when he's sort of disgruntled about the TARDIS, that's when it feels more like an adventure in space and time, and therefore a caricature, I think. I can only say that, personally, I was sold from start to finish, right from the word go, and didn't question it once. Mm. No, I me think too. The, I think the other thing you have to remember excellent. is that the vast majority of the audience, A... Will never have seen... Will yeah. have never have seen William Hartnell the first mm. time round, and may not have seen... Not many of them necessarily remember the adventure in space and time, either. Yeah. So, yeah. between wow. those two... But I, but I did... Well, no, well, so, of course, so, yeah, no, your own personal yeah. reaction is as valid as anything, but I, I suspect for the larger viewing audience, they won't have that baseline to sort of mm. make those connections against. Yeah, I mean, there was always going to be, for me, a slight uneasy uneasiness about bringing an old Doctor from the original series into the new series. Yeah. Because we haven't seen it, I mean, we've seen it with Davison in a skit, and in a way, that was slightly awkward, but it was played for laughs, yeah. and it worked. And we had it with Tom Baker briefly, but it was really Tom Baker playing Tom Baker. He wasn't playing the old Doctor, he was just playing himself. In a way, Here, it was it was kind of felt a bit, for me, like he'd been kind of, at times, photocopied onto the, onto the screen. Mm -hmm. He didn't feel like he had the dimensions that Capaldi or Bill or Mark Gatiss had, I think. But, but that's he only very good. Dimensions and Mark Gatiss. I loved. No, no, I no, really no, no. liked Gatiss. Oh, Gatiss is very good. One thing in I wanted to say. No, I thought no, no. Gatiss is best no, no, performance no, no. I've yeah. ever seen. No, no, he was acting fine. He didn't have anything to do as a character. Well, that's an, that's another problem that I have with the with the thing. They needed. Well, we should go they through these things yeah, one by one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I can't remember. Oh, I was just only going to say. In a way, this isn't really that different from Julian Bleach coming in and playing Davros. He's playing a character from the classic series. The actor's no longer around to play. And nailing it. Yeah, I know it's heresy to say that about <laughs> one of the Doctors, but on a technical level, in as far mm. as casting an actor to play a part is concerned, it's really the same thing. Mm. Okay, then, Mark Gaines, seeing as we just brought him up. Yeah, I, I do I do think it was his most I thought he was textured... Very and believable performance, I thought. It helps I thought he was exactly the role, the sort of role that he excels. Well, it was written yeah. for him, wasn't it? Yeah. His range is limited, so if you give him the right... Well, it is, but if you give him the right sort Have of... Have you seen The League of Gentlemen? <laughs> yeah, but then that... Yeah, but yeah, but Mark Gatiss is, yes, is the is weak he, link in The League of Gentlemen. Is, is he going for nuanced, subtle acting? Because that's pretty much what he nailed this time round for, for this role. It was it was underplayed. He never mm. he never hammed it up, he never chewed no. any scenery. No. And he felt, it, he felt it, like it a just, person just right. Yeah. He, yeah. he felt like a person who had got 
caught up in the war as opposed to playing a typical, you know, upper class soldier. You felt that there really was family back home and there yeah, was a exactly, wife and child. Yeah. It and, wasn't all about but, him being a soldier. Yeah, but he, we had he, that. He gave it that. Yeah, gave that the, the weight of believability. We I, had I that feel. weight of believability because he had that lovely little speech at the beginning of the crater. Mm. So the crater scene yeah. really set up that character. Yeah, and he got that bit right, so everything yeah. else was so it, it felt right. But I think Mark Gatiss has time. range, but only when he's playing historical characters. So or he's much, he's yeah. much more, he's, he's much happier when he's yeah. playing characters from the oh, past. Yes. Or Mycroft, which is very good. I think I, I think he's good I as think Mycroft. He's terrible at Mycroft. <laughs> I think he's good in that. Yeah, I think he now as, as it progresses, as it goes on, I'm never quite I think convinced. he manages to to wring stuff out of it that wasn't there to start with. Mm. No, <laughs> not for and, me. Um, Toby Whithouse as well was great. I know he didn't really. He was barely recognisable. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a bit of Eddie Marson about him. Yeah, that kind of yeah. Really, yes, he did actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, his role in it, though, wasn't just to sort of follow the doctors around and see what they were seeing, but subtly underneath it, he was illustrating something about the story, such that the story was, mm. but it was all about illustration. Everything that was in that episode, every single thing that was in that episode was there to say something about the theme of the episode. And so the theme of the episode is regeneration and i don't mean regeneration in doctor who sense but i mean a regeneration in the sense of the human race mm. every time for example the first world war uh, it's this huge great battle in which the youth of several nations gets wiped out but then the point of the first world war is afterwards those nations have to regenerate and so mark gatiss's character is kind of there to illustrate the fact particularly and this is why the armistice day scene the um, Christmas armistice thing is thrown in is it's all about the stopping the starting the renewing and yep. I and I think the reason why they've chosen first world war captain and the reason why they've chosen that particular day is just to keep that theme ticking over mm-hmm. of stopping starting renewing mm-hmm. he's, he's, in the face of war yeah <clears throat> he's also a character that realizes that ultimately he has to go down a particular path and in this in this story we've got two doctors both of whom are resisting yeah because that's um, the other thing regeneration yeah yeah he there subtly is kind of showing well he realizes that he has to go back to the crater he has to die because that's what was ordained that's the path that he has to take and in their own separate ways both doctors have to have to choose the, the same that they had yeah. to go down there. Yeah. yeah, it's also so showing the doctor's being a bit selfish, to be perfectly honest. You yeah. know, there's a guy who's got all his yeah. life, he's in the trenches having to fight a fruitless war, and he's got it, he's prepared to die. He's to go, he'll go back and he'll die and he'll, mm. he'll save Bill in the process if need be. Yeah, whereas the doctor's sitting there going, I've got all these lovely lives to play with, but I don't really want to go any further. Mm. Get well, a life. Was quite yes. <laughs> they could have Get had lives. Clara, <laughs> Clara could have been that linchpin character. Because she was yeah. essentially in the same situation. Well, I predicted yeah. she would be, about, didn't I? Yeah, mm. about being replaced back to the moment of That was death. something yeah. I got wrong. And I got the Lethbridge Stuart ring wrong as well. Hands up, everybody <laughs> laugh at me. Well, what we did you say? Can I hear it again? I didn't, I didn't see Lethbridge Stuart coming. I must admit. 
Oh, you well, didn't, so when I'm, he says childhood holidays in Chroma, the thing is, yeah. that, <laughs> Chroma was mentioned, the thing is, everybody saw the Lethbridge Stewart thing coming before the episode was over, and then they discounted it because <laughs> it was because I said, I said there was no way they could they could sort of Everything reveal it without being really awkward and shonky. And actually, they managed to do yeah. it. But yeah, and that's it was yeah. very nice. It was really emotional. I think I think the Gatus role. I agree with you all. What he was there for. I just don't think they quite brought it out and I don't think they quite earned I didn't feel like I particularly cared even when he re- was revealed to well, be the Brigadier's grandfather I which think is, this which is, is controversial itself, the apparently. problem with the episode is that everything that was in there was in there for a very good reason but it was either oversold or undersold so that I didn't think any of it came off I thought it was Everything that was there was brilliant, but there was just something about it where none of it came off. And I don't know what it is. And I've got to say, I hate to say this, but I'm going to have to, I think, lay the finger of blame for that, insofar as I'm concerned, Rachel Talalay's door. Because I don't think the problem was in the script. I think it was in the way... strange, dumb moments, actually. They were, like, hanging on Mark Gatiss' face for no reason for, for... you know that sort of thing. There's like about two or three little tiny things that maybe go. I loved it. Why, 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 <laughs> the look of it. Why did we brilliant. have this? I don't know. Mm. No, no. The, look but of the directing is not just cameras and editing. No, it's also acting Actors. and pace. Yeah. And it was the acting. Well, no, the acting was fine, but it wasn't appropriate to the material, and the pacing was way off. Was it? When you say I way thought, off, do you mean slow uh, or just uh, uneven? Or well, it was just no. It was. It was uneven, but it there were some bits where the episode just absolutely stopped dead still, and there were other bits where there was so much going on that you couldn't take in the things that you were supposed to be taking in. And this is perhaps another reason why some people missed what the episode was doing, because they weren't taking these things in. Mm. And although, obviously, I had to write a 2,000-word review, so I had to sit down and go through it all mentally in my head so that I could make it add up, at the end of the episode, I just sort of looked at the screen and said, I'm not really sure what that did. And like I say, it was only when I sat down to write about it that I could actually sort of plot mm-hmm. it all out in my head. I, but the acting was... No complaints about the acting. Everybody did a really good job of what they were asked to do. But in order to be sold on the ideas that it's selling you, the actors have got to sell you those ideas. And while I thought they sold each of their characters, I didn't think they sold the ideas in the episode. I mean, Matt, is that what you got from it too? Um, yes, but I didn't see it as a pacing issue. I saw it as a structural <clears throat> issue. So for me, it would have been the way, the way the story is written, I think. The way the... But it's also... There's something odd about this this particular one because it has been tacked on and we know yeah, it's been yeah, tacked yeah. on and so that's in the back of my mind watching it thinking actually the Capaldi climax was in a previous episode and this is a kind of a meditative relaxing Christmas episode and it's slowly it's like unlike any other regeneration story it's slowly building up to a regeneration rather than pitting the doctor against his greatest enemy <clears throat> but in a way, that was exactly the thing that I liked about it. I like, I mean, yeah, I didn't mind that. I, I, for me, the, for me, the episodes that really resonate are the ones where there aren't 
you know, um, you know, ten thousand <coughs> flying Daleks um, battling against battalions of Cybermen, where where there's lots of bluster and action and explosions. Yeah. The, the, the episodes that really resonate for me are the ones where there is that space to 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 really meditate on something specific, yeah. um, whether it's um, that med- childhood fear, like in Listen, yeah. or, or or really inbuilt deep fears that, that come out in something like um, But I felt that, sense. I felt that that meditation was diluted by the different elements rather than enhanced. And it could have been enhanced because, as Jr. said, the three elements. Mm. The first doctor, the Capaldi doctor, runs and Gatus and the testimony and the testimony should be mm. working in tandem. Or I mean, for me, maybe the quadrum. testimony was perhaps the weakest element. The idea was was I good. I don't know. I quite like that. Actually. I yeah, think that was, was the strongest idea, thing there. I thought it was an amazing idea as well. A beautiful no, idea. It's an idea. It's you know, everybody's kind of fragile and made of glass, and you can be. Yeah, just that little metaphor was nice. Mm. But I thought the weakest part of that, oddly, in the str- is a structural thing again, whereby you're rumbling along on a particular pace, and it's okay. It needs to be slow because you've got two old gents in the role, so you don't want to be ha- having them running around everywhere. So that's why they got them doing this kind of vertical action scene. Yeah. People can hold chains no matter how. All right, just are. to bump in for a second. Johnny's <laughs> birds. There were lots of moans <laughs> beforehand because in the trailer, trailer, the first Doctor is seen doing a little bit of action. And people were saying he never did things like that, apart from obviously in scenes like where he kills the assassin in the Romans or brains the guy on the Stone chain Age. gang. In there. Yeah. <laughs> Stone Age gang so all right, let's get past that. That is not out of character for the first Doctor. No, but the but the thing that really kind of like tripped me up a bit was the um, Dalek moment and Rusty. Even though it's quite nice <clears> to see Rusty again, and I kind of get the point when you mentioned the Matrix. Oh, let's go and check out the Matrix. Oh no, I know something that's better than the Matrix. I think really. Really, what <laughs> a Dalek in a tower in the middle of nowhere. No, but the issue with that, that was is not. Ridiculous. No, that would have been fine. But the issue with that is they spent the whole first hour, half hour of the episode, going to places to be told things rather than finding things out. Yeah. Well, also, also, yeah, Gators, so don't tell. Gators, as you said, had quite an important role with this kind of. He wasn't just there to be tagged on. But he was just tagged on. Yeah. In the end, I mean, he did spend time in the TARDIS, and then he just. So well, he by, needed, the, by the end of it, he needed he to be given like be... at least one thing to change, yeah. so that his character, rather than just being there to illustrate something, was there to do something as well. Yeah. And he didn't really, did no. he? And at the end, actually, you get to the point where the Doctor says, "Oh, it's not an evil plan. I don't know what to do when it's not an evil plan." <laughs> And the plot and looks... I did like it. Yeah. Oh, no, there were some nice things in there. That looks like it's the end of the plot. But, of course, there's one more thing to do. You've got to get Gatiss back to his proper place in yeah. time and space. Or else, you know, the Reapers or whatever, time goes out of joint. So, actually, the final thing that Gatiss gets to do is he gets to be the person who's put back in time. So he's still not proactively doing anything in the most important <clears throat> scene that he's in, in terms of the plot. No, but his his, his active role isn't uh, a, an action one. It really is to be this mirror against which... Both well, yeah, but that's not both... an active role, is it? No, it, it isn't, but it's an important role. Sometimes sometimes, yes. it, sometimes in, a, uh, in, a, in, in a film, the um, a character can he's, be a reflection. He's um, Private Ryan. 
Yeah, <coughs> isn't he? Yeah, effectively, because but yeah, Pri- Private Ryan is a bit of a, a blank sheet because he's only really found. But the point the with Private Ryan gives... is, you don't see him until the last twenty minutes of the movie. Yeah, but he's... the point with Gages is he's in this from the start, and it's set up as a, tr- yeah. a, a three perspective because they introduce. The first Doctor, the Twelfth Doctor, and Gatiss in all equal in Antarctica, ways. yeah, in each of these sort of interlocking flashbacks. Yeah, I mean, yeah, personally, I don't have a problem with him taking uh, a sort of a, a, a you know a more physical, um, plot-driven, active role. I, I, I just see his role as being something much. But more he subtle. just needed but one thing, like for instance, the bit where the thing's going to explode. It should have been him who said. Jump on here. Let's go down that way. Yeah, give him something to do. Um, Just one you know, thing. He, he was he was attacked but by Carlos Mutant. Yes. <laughs> you know, which was quite, which was one of the best bits of acting I've ever seen anybody great. do. <laughs> that was the. If you look at that fall, the way it twists him and fall, that's just brilliant. I, I had to rewind that, watch it a few times. I don't think that was acting. They probably flung the spin <laughs> with a catapult. Thunk. <laughs> somebody I was watching with it was did point out that the armistice scene. Was a virtual shot by shot remake of the John Lewis advert from two years ago, <laughs> which, was, which was also slightly distracting because that kind of takes the emotional weight out of that moment. Uh, because maybe you're it was just actually the footage. Well, you never know. <laughs> Save a bit of money. Yeah. Oh, I, I have to say that the Gates' character felt that his, his role was there as an example to the doctors, the whole thing about facing up to to death and it's probably one of those things that probably works better on the page than it does on the screen yeah possibly well this is and this is my point about the direction in order to get beyond that you have to disguise it and I never thought I never thought the production of the episode disguised it Mm. So you're left with this character who looks a bit like a loose limb for the entire 60 minutes (coughs) my my, my only real problem with Mark Gates is, is that for the for the second time in Doctor History, we were actually sitting down as a family. So it was myself, my wife, and my daughter, who lo- loves Doctor Who, but um, um, we we don't often get to kind of sit as a family and watch it. So the last time that this happened was for the 50th anniversary. So we found ourselves all sat on the sofa watching this. And um, often my daughter sort of asks questions, and um, which can be really nice but also sometimes a bit <laughs> annoying as well because you're trying to concentrate on, on the story but the one question that came up that really stuck in my mind was um, when they were all in the first Doctor's TARDIS and she said um, that man looks um, why, why is Adolf Hitler in the TARDIS and he does look a little bit like Adolf Hitler <laughs> yeah. he does actually yeah so uh, <clears throat> but it could have been Charlie Chaplin as well. It, it could have been Charlie Chaplin, <laughs> but it did look a little bit out of it. And as soon as she said that, I thought, yeah, he does a little bit. Anyway. That would have been interesting. Say, <laughs> overall, one of the big dangers, <laughs> big dangers with this episode, though, is it is technically an anti-climax. We've had the climax at the end of the mm-hmm. series. Yeah. So this, the only thing it can do is be retrospective. But I forgive it because I do feel that it it deserves it. I think we've reached a point in the series where he deserves it, where he gets a chance to sit on the top of the hill and look right where have we come from or where are we going. So what, yeah, what I we thought had... it worked really nicely as that, yeah. Yeah. but I just thought the episode itself felt tired and not quite together. So what we've mm-hmm. actually got is Heaven Sent, but with other characters in it, which kind of <clears throat> ruins the point of Heaven Sent. Heaven, Heaven Sent has... Quite introduced. There aren't that many more. other characters in it, to be fair. No, no, <laughs> but... Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I think Heaven Sense is is 
it's it's kind of exploring similar territory, but but structurally doing it in a, in a, in a different way. Um, well, obviously, the focus is on a completely different thing. Heaven Sent is about grief becoming anger. This is about anger becoming resolution. Mm. So it's kind acceptance. of acceptance. But what what I mean is, it's a, it's an episode that's designed yeah. to focus entirely on the Capaldi yeah, Doctor. Yeah. But then they bring the first Doctor and they bring Gatus and they bring two companions, two Three. companions back. Yeah. Three? Nardole turns up for a oh, and, yes. yeah, and uh, God, what's his name? It's still preferable to the tenant. <coughs> oh, God, yes. Surely. Yeah, compared to the tenant farewell, this is... Sounds like Lord of the Rings. This is it? like life. <laughs> <laughs> it's finished. Uh, no, it hasn't. It's finished. <laughs> no, it hasn't. So there's a lot of I don't I don't know. I mean, Capaldi's final speech did... <laughs> that went on. Did go on a bit. Yeah. And yeah. I, I just mean, wonder... That was, that was slightly soft. I just wonder now if the Doctor's managing to hold back his regeneration just so he can get his final... <laughs> he, just, he just thinks, no, that, that final line wasn't appropriate. Let's try it. Let's try it. <laughs> Always love. No, no. There's, there's one more. I have to bring the doctor into it. Just one more, and then oh, that'll be fine. Yeah. And Next, what, hang on. I suddenly don't like pears. I'll say that. Yeah, oh, that's a silly line. Oh, sure I tell you what. Been said um, before, I'm sure it has been said before. What? To do with pears, don't eat pears. That's been said. Maybe, well, yes, maybe um, these are old lines, aren't they? From yes, um, there's a line. During Matt Smith, I think. Yes. Or might be David Tennant, where it said that pears are poisonous to Time Lords. Right. Or to the Doctor, presumably <laughs> to Time Lords. Or maybe he's just maybe a Time pears. Lord who's allergic to pears. Mm. But yeah, don't eat pears is about uh, an allergy or whatever for the Doctor. Yeah. yeah. It was pointed out to me by Peter Cavanna, um that the last line, which now was... Oh, what was the last? I'll, I'll let you go. I'll let you go. Is an obvious inversion of I don't want to go. Yeah. Mm. And I hadn't spotted that. No. Uh, mind you, I've only no. watched it once. But, I, I immediately yeah. thought it was Moffat talking through the Doctor. Mm. Well, it seems like it was maybe a deliberate nod back to that, mm. saying mm. You know, people didn't like that. Maybe they'll prefer this. Mm. Mm. But then some I, people did like that. So I'd say yeah. up until. Just now, thinking about it, um, another comment I saw read by someone was where they, they went into saying that it was a big, massive ego trip by Stephen Moffat the whole episode. You know, he's, he, and I just thought, oh, do give it up. But, they <laughs> did, but, but it is so, but I just think it deserves to be self-indulgent. Like RTD deserves to be self-indulgent. He brought the thing back. He made a success of it. It was a you know it's the big it's a flagship simple. TV it program was, for the BBC. Yeah. He's allowed to have a slightly longer ending, mm. even though so we find it a little bit dismal. I didn't though. I didn't mind that bit of the end of time. The bit of the end of time that I didn't like was the bit where you spend a whole episode setting up that the master is going to be every person on the planet, and then Razalon goes and it stops. Mm. Mm. It was there were no payoffs to the setups and no setups for the payoffs. And you know what I'm always saying about setups and payoffs. That was the problem with End of Time, not the last 15 minutes. Okay, here's one where <laughs> I don't know whether I missed something, and I've watched it twice, and it still doesn't make sense. Is that there's a line where they take the the soldier back and put, take him back. The Doctor says something about changing settings by a couple of hours, so it coincides with. I think what you're supposed to take from that is that if you'd have taken them back at the exact moment and unfrozen them both, then they would have shot each other yeah. and missed the armistice by two hours, 
So what he does is he takes them back and leaves them frozen for two hours. And I'm so everyone them. there gets frozen for a, <coughs> an additional two hours. No, because they can't be seen by anybody else outside. So I'm assuming that all he's done is shifted the bit where they would have shot each other up by two hours. So that they get stopped yeah, by the Yeah, don't forget, they're all still in their trenches. So just that so bit in the crater. Just the bit in the crater. Been, you know, okay, because that's not clear. That no, it's it, just it, the crater it, that's it, it been adjusted. Clear, yeah, I, 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 yeah I think so, yeah. about that as well. Because you know, um, okay, well, if he'd adjusted everything, then he would have still missed by two hours, and the armistice would have happened two hours later. Make, yeah. That didn't make sense. Yeah, no, I think you were supposed to just assume that it was just those two that he'd bumped up It's a bit of a waste of time. You don't actually need that. They could have just... They could have just started it from where it finished, and then the armistice started. We wouldn't have known any difference. So no. that was a bit of a wasted. That's true. Yeah. Well, yeah, but then that, that infers that the testimony didn't. They've obviously taken him out of the timeline, assuming that he's supposed to die at that <coughs> point in time. So well, he does need to change so, that. Yes, that's true moment. because he was you, he was okay, due, he yeah, was due to die, wasn't he? Of course he yeah. was. Yeah. So maybe two minutes. <laughs> oh yeah, but, <laughs> but the, the, that that gunshot could have been the last action before the armistice, and the doctors. Just the fact that this had happened with the doctor could have just delayed that gunshot by a few seconds. Mm. I, I mean, we'll either the, way, it didn't really we'll just matter. Just take the guns out of their hands and they go, "Oh, where's that gone? Let's shake hands instead." <laughs> so they're quite interesting, actually. Bayoneted each other instead. Is <laughs> if both the British and the German soldier had been lifted out, and obviously the German soldier would start speaking English because of the TARDIS. Effect. Because of the TARDIS. It's true. Don't be picky. <laughs> oh, no, no. no. <laughs> that may have overloaded it slightly. Yeah, probably. Um, that would be great, though, wouldn't it? Okay, let's talk about the testimony. That would explain why they were all friends. They suddenly understand each other. Uh, Mr. Trick there, Moffat. Oh, God, yeah, there's two TARDISes on that war field. <laughs> <laughs> that should have really doubled the chances of everybody speaking the right languages. <laughs> the testimony... I thought that was a terrific guy. And also a lovely nod to Russell T. Davis and mm. that he sets it mm. on New Earth mm. just yeah, after um, the events of Gridlock. No, actually between um, the episode New Earth and Gridlock because mm. Gridlock's 26, isn't it? And New Earth's 03 or something. I can't remember. That's right. Um, in terms of the long-term ongoing continuity and particularly of Stephen Moffat's character's what the testimony tells us is that Clara does go back to Trap Street and die. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise they wouldn't have this. Mm. Thank goodness. That Bill, because Bill's turned into a glass being while she's still travelling with Puddle Girl, because the last thing she remembers is being with Puddle Girl, because mm. she's asking where Puddle Girl is. So she never does make it home before she dies. So at some point, Bill dies as Puddle Girl Mark II. Mm. Um, doesn't say anything about where and when Nardole dies, except obviously that he did, and at some point that character was always going to, so we're not really told anything about that. In terms of other things, one other thing that I think it represents is that, and even though this was pointed out in the name of the Doctor, uh, this is one of the issues that people have with Stephen Moffat's writing, that the characters don't die. Whereas, in fact, they do die. He just gets around it by the fact that there's a time machine there. But people said, oh, but even when they die, they get saved, like River Song does, into the library at the end of Silence in the Library. What's wrong with that? <laughs> but what I'm saying is, I think the the message that you take from this is that it's not River Song who gets saved. It's River Song's memories who get saved. Yeah. So River Song's actually dead. So the 
data data ghost data ghost however you say it at the end of forest of the dead is another example of something similar to this whereby and peter capaldi's doctor throughout the entire episode will not let it let it go these are not the people but again i thought what was really intelligent about this is because it's a story about regeneration and what i'm always saying about each new doctor being a new person because it's an entirely new cell structure born on the moment of the regeneration again what this is illustrating is that you're downloading the memories into a new body and and this is the bit where it gets a bit metatextual insofar as the fictional character is concerned i.e what we see of bill and what we see of clara and nardole in minuscule is that for us it's essentially the same person but insofar as the production is concerned a new doctor is a new actor and peter capaldi's doctor is saying no you're not the same person you're a new body you've just inherited the memories Okay. He's saying that on a production level, that's what's going on when you change the Doctor. Mm. Again, it's Stephen Moffat writing a plot that mirrors his story, that mirrors the production, that mirrors the series. And not just changing the Doctor, but changing the showrunner. Yes, so he's saying as well. that, that Everything's Chris Chibnall is coming in with the memories of what's come before. The series is going to be the to same, start, yeah. because it's still got a heritage. But it's going to look different for a while. You could actually apply that to the David Bradley issue as well, couldn't you? You could say, well, it's, you're, that's, you're not really the first Doctor, you're somebody who's just playing it. Mm. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's good. the memory of it. Mm. I thought that was great, an absolutely fantastic idea. And it really wasn't thrown away, because if as you unpick it, it says more and more things about more and more aspects, not just of that episode, but of the whole 50-odd years of the series. I thought it was a little bit of genius, really. And there wasn't really anything more you could have done with it than what was done in that episode. So mm. I thought that bit was perfect. I thought that was the strongest thing in the episode, frankly. Um, anything else on the testimony? I like the effect. The, the glass, the glass thing, effect. Yeah. That was quite creepy. Yeah. Oh, and I loved that it was the first Doctor who noticed the asymmetry in the face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, was the, that was the thing that was reversed. It's all very well saying that, you know, there's so many negative things pointed at the first Doctor, but that was where the tables were turned, is that yeah. take your sunglasses off and you can see <laughs> see things properly. Yeah. The only issue with it, of course, is that as soon as you find that out, the threat in the episode, the Jeopardy, is killed stone dead. Which is this sort of a, okay. This wasn't an episode about Jeopardy. It, yeah, it's exactly. One of those rare... Doctor Who's where Jeopardy doesn't really... It's not about that no. as well. But it was trying to sell you on the Jeopardy of it. Mm. And that was the point at which that bit unravelled. Mm. And it did... It did... Suck, and that was about halfway through, probably even before halfway through, maybe, or somewhere in that yeah, region. Yeah, because he makes lots of statements to the testimony. I'm going to find out what your plan is, and then I'm going to... After I've mm. saved everyone here, I'm going to come back and stop you, whatever your plan is. So the, do- the Doctor himself, the character of the Doctor, is kind of upping the stakes and, and making it, because he's hardwired to see a threat in everything, yeah, yeah, yeah. because he's been battling the universe for God knows how long. 
I think though he actually says, "I'll stop you if I don't like what you're doing." Yes, which is kind of <laughs> maybe I'll stop you if I don't. <laughs> yeah, if I do like what you're doing. So he, he, he's kind of in that mode where um, he just sees potential threat and everything. So when he suddenly realises, "Oh, there's not an evil plot. I don't know what to do." When there isn't an evil plot, he's kind of he's kind of winded, mm. basically. But then that allows. But the episode is kind of winded as well. It is to a degree. I, I, yeah. I have less of an issue with it because it is, it, it's doing a different thing. It is a meditative episode. We've had, as you said, Simon, the, the, the bluster and the action sequences in The Doctor Falls. I mean, we've seen, I mean, the, I rewatched it the other day and I love that slow motion sequence where um, Peter Capaldi mm. is spinning around in slow motion and zapping um, Cybermen and they're spinning and cartwheeling off and exploding and this is the guy who basically when he runs he looks like a cross between a praying mantis and a meerkat he just can't run to save his life and here in this episode he's looking like a real action hero he has his moment yeah. so that was the episode where he had you know where we had the explosions and all the, the big action that we often expect from a, a series finale but this you know really had to do something different you can't up the stakes and outdo that so well you can't it, it, it and that's the issue it. here is that they did spend the first half an hour trying to sell you on the jeopardy before yeah. it's a bit of, bit, I think bit of misdirection I think to a degree more, yeah i think yeah they're trying to wrong yes foot, wrong foot the viewer yeah yeah but the point is that at the end of that they just say oh there is no jeopardy mm. You see, there's no. But the jeopardy is the. Yeah, but no, knowing knowing what the, the the story, the episode was really about, I I could quite easily forgive them that because it didn't yes, really that's feel... fine. But what I'm saying is, mm. in terms of it being, and this is what Matt was saying before, in terms of it being a structured episode with a plot that you could follow, mm. and in terms of what I was saying before about the pace being off mm. you get to that point and it's not a point where anything gets resolved it's just a point where somebody says oh don't worry about what we've been doing for the last 30 or 40 minutes mm. we're not actually doing that and it's no good just saying that in terms of what lee said about show and tell you've just been told <clears throat> that you you do spend the first whatever it is i don't know half an hour running around away from daleks trying to avoid the glass people mm. and all this kind of stuff. But the running around doesn't stop when you resolve anything. Mm. The running around just stops when somebody says, oh, you know what? We don't actually need to be running around. <laughs> and I'm not saying that in terms of no. what the story's doing, yeah. that's the wrong yeah. thing to do. No, I'm that's... saying in terms of how television works, that is a very flat moment. Yeah, but you, I suppose within the story, you have to remember that the, the Doctor himself at that point thought that there was a threat, thought that there was a plot, and so was responding and behaving. And, and I think the, the structure of the story was responding and behaving in the sense that there was a plot to thwart, there was a, an evil to, uh, you know, to be beaten. And then when he realises that there isn't, as, as happens to any of us in life, when we come to a, a, an impasse where we realise that what we've been doing actually wasn't, the thing that was going on, you have to change another. You have to take another you, tack. This this episode is a prism. It's just so many mirrored things. There's so many things happening in yeah. parallel. 
There's things that what's happening to the soldiers, happening to the doctors where they've been taken out of time. So they're all in this, this state of grace where they've got this opportunity to mm. look back on their life and look at, you know, accepting and letting go and, and moving on with how they're going to die or, or change or whatever. Um, and I just think, you know, the, the same thing's happening. But you know what? That running around in the first half an hour really muddied the issue of the fact that they were reflecting. Because, and this is one of the things I had to find out when I sat down to write, is Mm. did we really, at the end, 12th Doctor says to the first Doctor, this is what you do, you turn into a person who fights evil. And I'm thinking, yeah, okay, he's telling him that at the end, but did he actually show him that? Did we actually see any of that? I and know. I don't think we actually did. Well, the, the other point I was going to say with the it mirroring, was, yeah, though, is that the not. fact that the testimony learn about the Doctor, because when they first turn up, they say, right, you're the war Doctor, we're going to show <laughs> you mm. what a terrible person you are. <clears throat> and you've got that amazing, amazing, amazing lie. I mean, I wanted to... Oh, that amazing lie <laughs> where Peter Capaldi turns around and said, says, to be fair, they missed out all the jokes. It's an amazing lie. Yeah, that was so good. It was so well placed. But that's me- the, so the, the testimony learned that the Doctor isn't the person they thought he was no. by all the memories. Mm. Yeah. So that's happening as well. So he, as yeah. well as the Doctor realising testimony that's, that's are, are benign, yeah. a benign force, mm. they realise that the Doctor is a, you know... Yeah, they, I they, did got think... him, they got him wrong, didn't they? They got the wrong end of the stick, despite the fact that they should be almost kind of... And this is what I mean, is that it's just like a number of mirrors. Well, yeah, but this is the because they're only taking other people's memories off mm. him, aren't they? Mm. Rather yeah. than his memories themselves. No. So they're just getting the edited highlights, a bit like we do on television. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's the story's way of saying that we are perhaps more than the sum of our memories. You know that there's, you know, and that that leads on to that idea of regeneration. And again, it mirrors the peace, the whole armistice thing of of realizing that these people opposite you in the trenches aren't just dummies with hats on; they're no. real people. No, no. So, it's, yeah, right. it's a, yeah. and you realize that for six hours, and then you shoot them. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> well, that's, well, well sad, that's the horrible yeah, irony, the sad isn't thing it? Is they went back. And the horrible irony for the doctor is he realizes what his great place in the universe is. And then he has to go and sit down or stand up or mm. lie down or whatever and change into an entirely different person. Mm. It, yeah, it did lots of great, great things. Just didn't think it solved them. I, Quite. To me. I, I, I thought all the ideas in it yeah. were absolutely brilliant. Just wasn't sold on it while it was happening. Mm, mm. I think what's clever about it, though, is it's where it's totally different from every other Christmas special is it does something which should is as much part of Christmas as you know the blockbuster thing we've had the blockbusters and we've had you know where where we've got the banging and the crash and the amazing things and the event t- TV this is event TV but it's also touching on things that Christmas touches on well it's reflective and that's another thing <clears> that Christmas that's does it's a time to stop and reflect exactly yeah. I don't in fact to that, extent. that goes back to mm. it goes back to Stephen Moffat's very first lines in his very first Christmas special, A Christmas Carol, where it starts with that voiceover. It's the time in the midwinter when everybody stops and takes stock. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's what this episode was. Um, anybody else got anything else, or do you want to give it a scores? The snowflake bit was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We should say this. 
Well, we maybe we should because are you releasing? Are you doing something with uh, the stories? They've already gone out. They've already gone out. Right? Yeah. So you've released the stories of us mm-hmm. reading our Christmas stories. Yeah, it's just really weird. Yeah, so I was putting those out for Christmas, Liam. We are recording this after Christmas, so, so you can done. take it. It's done. Don't they right, have okay. gone out. They've yes. gone out. Well, if anybody's you know found the time to listen to my stupidly long one, um, there's a little tiny scene. It's all right. That one's not on there. There's <laughs> a little tiny. <laughs> you, ed- you edited. Um, Sorry, I was content by the BBC. You had to edit it out. <laughs> Tiny scene, tiny I should have put timings on that episode, but I mean, literally, it's just 10 minutes of Simon and 10 minutes of me, either side of an hour and 10 minutes of Lee. <laughs> I, opened, I opened up the book and it was yeah. 7,000 words, sorry. But anyway, it was uh, the, whole, the whole story is, is essentially, you know, the first Doctor caught in time. And there's a moment where they push a snowflake out of the way and it glides back into the same place. And when that happened on TV, that you pushed the snowflake away and went, no way. And I, saw, I was turned around to Finn and said, that'll go back in the same place. And it did. And he went, how do you know that? Because <laughs> it's a story. Wrote it. <laughs> Very odd. And what was the title of that story? Uh, the Impossible Pear Tree. Pears. 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 Mr. Moffat, where's the check? <laughs> Right, let's give this <laughs> Let's give this story a score then. Matt, seven out of ten. Ooh. Simon, Blimey. do you know what? I'm so excited by this episode <laughs> and so blown away by it. I have to give it a ten. Okay. And, I, and I appreciate what you're saying. That it probably isn't made as well as it could have been, but I just think the ideas in it and everything like that. I just think it. No, I'm it. asking you to give me your score, not mine. Right, my score is ten. Andy. Speak, um, this is yes. audio. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Regnum pause. Um, because it's a, a serious finale, but also because I think it does genuinely deserve it, 10. I think it does everything it's set out do to do. Do you want do. me to let the listener know who you are, firstly? Lee? <laughs> <clears throat> I think it does everything it, 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 it's set out to do, apart from the Dalek bit, so that, that really... Takes a couple of points off, so I think eight. I really enjoyed it. You took two points off for the Dalek. Oh, yeah, that whole midsection harsh. didn't need it. Poor old Rusty. I got to say as well that the sets and that in that midsection yeah, they were nice, but it, I just wasn't sold on it being a real place. Yeah, yeah. And I'm a seven, so you got two sevens and eight and two tens. Ah, fair enough. Happy Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's me read something else out quickly then before we. Uh, Depart. Oh, this... Right, this one turned up in September where I changed my browser. No, 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 this isn't the one I lost from changing my browser. This one turned up in September where Mark logged on and answered it. So by the time I logged on to um, my the, the Blue Box email account, it was marked as red, so I didn't even see that it was there. So in September, Ian Martin emailed us to say... Hello, dear The Blue Box Podcast. I hope you are all well, and that as ever, you all know how grateful we are for the show each week. I wanted to ask you a hypnotical question. Let's assume Mr Chibnall decides to bring back the Master, and as part of his Year Zero reboot, he pays little attention to continuity with the Moffat era. The Master thus appears, either in a new body, or as Missy, or even as Mr Sim, with no more than a meaningless line of dialogue to explain the character's survival after the events of the Doctor's fall, such as, the whole universe knows I'm indestructible. Suppose that happens. My question is, would that really be good enough? 
Would that satisfy you all as viewers? Or, given that we've seen the Master effectively kill himself, do we deserve a little more explanation for how either Missy could have survived or regenerated, or even how Sim could have staved off his own regeneration? I know it's only a kid's show, but thinking about it this morning on my new commute, I realise that I personally would be really quite annoyed if this happens. I want the Master to have survived, but as a TV viewer, I really would like to know exactly how as well. Would you all just accept a glib line of dialogue and be satisfied with that? Hope all of you are well, and all the listeners too. Happy times and places, Ian. To which Mark replied, <coughs> Hence, the tardiness of this email. Hello, Mr. Ian. My theory is that when they shake hands before they part ways, the Doctor passes some of his regeneration energy to Missy, allowing her to regenerate again. Maybe. No, I've got to say, no, Mark, you are wrong, because Missy's got her own regeneration energy. She doesn't need the Doctor's. If she was going to regenerate, she would regenerate. She would it. it would done be it. more to protect. No, because when Sim kills her, he yeah. kills her to the point at which her regeneration energy yeah. can't be used. So it doesn't matter whether it's hers or the Doctor's. He says it. You, you're dead. That's it. You're dead. He take yeah. So it doesn't matter whether she's got her own regeneration energy or the doctor's. She can't use it. Now the point of I'm saying um, she has her own regeneration plus some given by the doctor. In, using Mark's theory. Well, even so, the ma- Sims master so, when is, has killed it all off. Since when has it ever been explained how the master escapes yeah. anyway? That's what exactly. I was about to say. Was that every single time he turns up, he never explains how he escaped anyway? So no, it would make any difference. And so, I, uh, I think so I wouldn't want a clip remark. Time fly. I would want nothing. In fact, the yes. times they have explained it, like in the end of time, it's a bit convoluted and involves magic potions. Oh so, God, yeah. The only time they've explained it when it hasn't <laughs> is the bit at the start, of course, of The Magician's Apprentice, where she talks about what the Doctor does. And, of course, we infer from that that that's what she did to escape death mm. in heaven. Mm. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I completely agree. I just want the Master to turn up, and I do not want to hear about how you got from A to B. No, and I don't care which one it is either. Well, I hope it's a brand new one, well, frankly. Yeah. Well, yeah, it should be. If it's a brand new one, you don't need to explain. No. Because it doesn't necessarily mean it's the next one. It might even be a previous one, or it might be one a hundred years down the line. Um, another resurrection. Hmm. Yeah. Avoid the stuff from the start of the end of time, though. It seems to be the uh, moral of that story. <laughs> it, could be, it could be a slightly human one, like the second tenant. <clears throat> All right, then, very briefly... John Hole writes and says, and this was between our Christmas Carol review and um, our Christmas episode, you're bang on about a Christmas Carol, it's oh. the bee's knees. Mm. Just re-watching Series 9, what with the hybrid stuff, I was wondering if you guys have discussed the half-human thing. What do you think or feel about it? I think most fans hate the idea. Seems to me that Stephen Moffat was fixing what was a bit icky in the past, adding it to the mystery of the Doctor. And he improved the Donna memory wipe too by putting him in the same position. I feel that Stephen Moffat really enriched the series and made it more of a legacy, but I'm looking forward to a changing of the guard. Perhaps it might be less funny and more scary. New Doctor soon and Star Wars tomorrow. Can't wait. Cheers. Merry Christmas, John Hull. We'll have Star Wars very soon too. Uh, But... Half-human. What does anybody think about half-human? Well, that was sorted out in the apocalypse element, wasn't it? Audio. 
Uh, with the sixth doctor, so there you go. Not oh. canon. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you're doing a posse thing at me. No, I'm pointing at you because you were the one you who said devil horns. <laughs> yeah, Lee, that's because it's you I'm pointing at. You've only changed Dio all of a sudden. I'm pointing at you because you're the one who said not canon. I know about I'm an joking. hour ago. It's a joke. I that was serious. <laughs> um, to be frank. I couldn't give a stuff if I was. (laughs) The reason it happened, I'm sure we've said this, the reason it happened is because Doctor Who is going to be for a brand new TV audience in America who've been brought up on things like Spock, where in order to ameliorate Mm. against the fact that you've got an alien on a spaceship, you make him half human. And if the Doctor is going to be the front and centre hero of this television series, making him half human kind of ameliorates that for a a TV audience who know nothing of the previous 26 years. That's the reason why it happens. Um, in fiction terms, it makes a hell of a lot of sense of the fact that about three out of every four episodes are set on Earth and about nine out of every ten have got humans in them, if not 99 out of every hundred. So in those terms, it makes sense as well. So frankly... I don't really have an issue with it. I suspect Jodie and me are um, Earth Mum in this series. Coming. What? Hi, Mum. <laughs> what did you say? What are you doing here? Jodie will meet her Earth Mum. Yeah. We'll meet right. her. Oh, okay. <coughs> From Yorkshire. Why not? Well, I guess. <laughs> Any Anybody else thoughts about it? Or? I think it's a good source of jokes in the new series. They've, and also in other fiction like the books and the audio stories it's a good sort of launch pad for inventiveness in order to get round it or to explain it so that's quite nice but I don't really care it's Doctor Who who cares about I don't feel the urge for them to fix it in any way Stephen Moffat did the right (laughs) thing same thing he did with the unit dating he made a joke about it and it looked like he was going to make an attempt to fix it he didn't bother he shrugged mm. it off. <coughs> and that's what you should do with mm. continuity issues. But within the TV series, it's so weakly sort of hinted at anyway. This is more... Is this more to do with um, fiction outside of the series? That The idea... I know, I know it was m- kind of mooted or mentioned within the, the Paul McGann TV well, it was, it was well, pretty, monster, It was pretty bluntly it put, pretty where bluntly he says, I'm half monster. human on my mother's side. Yeah, and the was the line of dialogue. Right. So that's the, that's the main issue. Was yeah. they, the monster reiterates that as well. Yeah. yeah, but outside, outside yeah. of the TV movie, oh, no. well, the point is, it's, really... it's been said in the program yeah. that the Doctor's half human. So well, is. so the Doctor's half human because right. if it's been said on screen and it is not been said either as a joke or as a deliberate lie or anything like that, right. there's no way that you can spin it to say anything other than that the Doctor's half human. Mm. And so, well, I, he was. <clears throat> now he's got his new regeneration line. That's probably all been scrubbed. <coughs> but we're talking about a series that has a lot of contradictions in it. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so... He might have been half human when he was William Hartnell. That's probably changed a bit now. <laughs> well, when he was William Hartnell, he only had one heart. Mm. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I was going to add one more thing. Oh, and the Eye of Harmony in that, of course, oh, yeah. is in the TARDIS. Mm. Whereas in the script, it was that in the TARDIS, there's a link to the Eye of Harmony. Mm. And then somewhere along the line, the production designer or somebody cocked it up and put the actual Eye of Harmony in the TARDIS. So that was another thing that uh, was kind of 
balls up. But, well, I don't really care. <laughs> Doctor Who, the important thing is, do you enjoy the episode that's going on in front of you? Seven out of ten. That's what I gave it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I gave it. Happy Christmas. <laughs> All right. Inside baseball. Next week is when I'm having, finally, that medical procedure that I was talking about last summer, thinking I was going to have it last autumn. So you won't be playing baseball. So I will be out of action next week. So there will be no podcast next week. Unless, inside baseball, we stop recording now. And carry on recording and record a short episode for next week so that there will actually be two episodes instead of one longer one. Mm. Okay, the kettle on. So, for now... I was Lee. I was Andy. I was Simon. I was Matt. <laughs> and I was JR. And we will speak again soon when we will be reviewing The Last Jedi. That looks like a Wooten. That is a routine Christmas decoration. Right there, look at that. For crying.